Praise God. Thank you, Kay, for that beautiful prelude this morning. Well, welcome to our service of worship here at First Church in New Knoxville. We're so glad you've decided to join us here today on the day after Christmas. Uh, it's not too late to just wish you a Merry Christmas here this morning. Um, and also, we want to welcome those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook Live. I have a couple announcements for us this morning before we get started. Uh, we have, just for scheduling, uh, just a reminder, there is no Sunday school or confirmation class today, both, both of um, the children's Sunday school and the confirmation classes will resume next week on January 2nd. The adult Sunday school group that normally meets in the ministry center uh, is also on a break today and next week, and they'll be resuming on Sunday, January 9th. We also want to extend our love and sympathy to the family of Robert Wilkins, who entered into Christ's care on Wednesday, December 22nd. Uh, uh, services for him will be in January. Uh, the visitation will be Friday, January 7th from 4 to 7 in the ministry center. And the service will be here in the sanctuary at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, January 8th. Um, also want to remind you that the giving tree is up and it's not too late to give, but tomorrow it will be. So if you have any items that you'd like to donate to the giving tree to support Elizabeth New Life Center, um, you can still drop those off in the, at the Christmas tree in the Heritage Room. And donations will be collected tomorrow. So if you can get those in either today or tomorrow, we'll still be able to get those to Elizabeth New Life Center for this fundraiser. This time, I will invite forward elder, uh, one of our elders, Stan Reinecke. He's going to give you a, another brief update about the plans with the Constitution and bylaws in the upcoming annual meeting. Good morning and Merry Christmas to all. Uh, just wanted to make mention again, uh, as printed in your bulletin, and as Pastor Joel had mentioned, uh, I believe, last week, uh, Consistory has... Um, approved to present the uh, changes to the constitution of our church and uh, this all began way back in July the elders uh, met and uh, took a look at the constitution and reviewed it thoroughly we then uh, once we were completed with it we brought in Pastor Joel and Pastor Tory to the mix uh, reviewed it a second time and then from there uh, presented it to consistory and they reviewed it for a third time. So we've done, a, uh, done our homework and done a very thorough review of it. And uh, at the December meeting, consistory meeting, it was approved to present to you, the congregation, uh, which will be presented on uh, January 23rd. And we will be asking for your approval. Um, so there are copies available uh, at the Information Center of the Constitution. And along with that, there's a separate page called the Summary of Changes page, which kind of is a quick reference to the changes from the current to the new. Uh, just makes it a little bit easier to follow. Um, you might be thinking, well, why, why the change of the Constitution? Well, we're no longer a part of the first UCC, as you know. It's been a number of years. Much of the verbiage and so forth was still based on the UCC. And so we felt as elders, as a consistory, that changes needed to be made, and that's what we did. Uh, we did make these changes. Um, we, being a non-denominational church, um, we uh, basically asked for the Holy Spirit's guidance in making these changes, and we believe now that we have a constitution that best fits who we are as a church, a God-led, Spirit-led church. So, uh, the last revision 
was actually back in 2015. So it's been a, a number of years since we looked at it. Um, so we encourage you to take a, take a copy of the Constitution, uh, grab a copy of that summary of changes page, review it. Uh, you've got some time before the annual meeting. And if you have any questions regarding that, feel free to ask Pastor Joel, uh, an elder, or a consistory member for that, that sake. And uh, we'd be glad to help you out and answer your question. So thank you. Thanks, Stan. Appreciate your work and all the elders and members of consistory that have put time into, into that. And like Stan said, if there's any questions or follow-up, feel free to reach out to one of us. We'd be glad to help you uh, help answer that question for you. At this time, I want to invite you to stand for our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound in every... Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Let's join in the praise of our Lord and God and our Savior by singing number 125, Joy to the World.
Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite forward the children and to come up forward for Children's Chat with Carolyn. My goodness. There must be people home with sugar plums in their heads. Huh? Good morning. What do I have here? A nativity set. set. Christmas is over. Is it all done? No. It's still Christmas. It's still Christmas? Yeah. Well, in a few days, what's mom and dad going to want to do with their Christmas stuff? What are they going to want to do? Put it away. Well, I'm going to put mine away. Here's a book. Might as well put our, you know, the baby born in a manger book away. You want to wrap up my lamb so we can put him away? Where'd the lambs come from? Who watches the lambs? The shepherds. Who talked to the shepherds? Huh? Who talked to the shepherds? Who? The angels did. What did the angels tell the shepherds? Not to be afraid. That's right. Miles, you want the donkey? Let's put him away. Wrap them up good so they don't break. Yeah, here's a cow. Want to get the cow? Who wants Mary, huh? You want Mary? And Joseph? Wrap them up good. Put them in the box. <gasps> Who's the last? Oops, you need a towel, don't you? Oops, it didn't count very good, did I? There we go. And who's the last one we put away? Do we really put baby Jesus away? Just because Christmas is over? Huh? But we do. We put him in a box, put him on a shelf. Do we read Christmas books after Christmas? No. Do we forget some of our Jesus time after Christmas? Yes, we do. Yeah, the towel's not big enough. That's good. Put it this way. She'll be good. So sometimes we do that. We put all the beautiful Christmas things away, and then we don't talk as much about Jesus as we do during Christmas time. And we can't wait till the next Christmas. So is that what we should do? No, it's not. Because it's nice to think about the Christmas story and Jesus being born. But, you know, Jesus is special every year, every day, every season. It seems like we get busy with the new year. We'll celebrate Happy New Year 2022. And we forget to talk to Jesus. We forget to pray to him. We forget to read our Bible stories. So let's make a deal, okay? Even though we're going to pack Jesus' ornament away because this really isn't jesus is it no it's just an ornament but jesus is in our hearts and we are going to keep him there and worship him every day he is good all year long he is what makes every time of the year important and we should never put him away we should never forget him let's keep him out okay Let's keep him out and remember him and remember your Jesus time with him. Let us pray. 
Lord in heaven, forgive us for putting you away after Christmas, for not thinking about you and not praying to you. Thank you for being with us all through the year. You are truly the reason for every season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do say amen too. That's a good thing. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Carolyn. Thanks, kids. Um, what a great reminder that, that this Christmas season, right, we don't stop celebrating the birth of our Savior just because we move on to the next calendar year. Um, somebody once said, I think it was even Pastor Kim, if I remember right, said, why do we stop singing Christmas songs when Christmas is over? There's some of the best songs that we can be singing about Christ and his salvation, yet we only break them out one for one season out of the year. Thanks, Karen. What a great reminder to keep Jesus out all year round. Our offering today goes to support the Neurological Rehab Center in Burkittsville, Ohio. This is the second year we've had an opportunity to support them. This is a organization that helps people with neurological um, uh, handicaps and disabilities, um, and it's a service that is uh, very, very beneficial to those individuals and those families. And so our offering today is going to go to support that service in Burkittsville, Ohio. If you're, if you're willing to give this morning, if the Lord is leading you to do so, I encourage you to give, and that will be going to a good cause um, and, and for our special meeting on the organ. So at this time, I'll invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering.
Amen. We're going to continue to stand and worship our Lord and Savior. This morning, we're going to sing number 137, What Child Is This? What an honor to continue to worship Him and praise Him and thank Him for all the things that He's done for us. Um, and Christmas is a great time for us to do that. So I invite you to remain standing if you're able as we sing this hymn to Him. invite you to pray with me. Father God, we come to you now in the confidence and the hope that only your son can provide. We join with 
you know, thinking of these, the words of this song that we just sing, you know, we, we, we reflect on how you humbled yourself to become like one of us, a child laid to rest in a manger, overseen by the animals and the shepherds who came to witness this birth. But at the same time, in those humble circumstances, there were choirs of angels singing your praise who've been waiting since the fall, since sin entered the world, to see God's plan we celebrate. That is what we remember at Christmas time is God in the flesh, our Emmanuel coming to rescue us, to save us from our sin. That that child who was born truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords who has come to rescue us from our sin. And so we praise your name, Jesus. Ever grateful and ever thankful for all that you've done. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you did it for us. That you reach down in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our brokenness, and you have lifted us up. You make us sons and daughters of the King. We thank you and praise you for that. And Lord, let us not not move on from this Christmas season and just put you away. Help us to remember who you are and what you've done for us every day and every season and every year. Keep, Lord, keep us focused on you. That we may sing your praises, that we may serve you, that we may love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself in all seasons and in all circumstances. We do pray, Lord, for the Neurological Rehab Center in Burkittsville. We pray that this offering that was just collected would be a blessing to them and all those that they're able to help. We also pray, Lord, for the names and families that are represented in our prayer list today. Lord, we pray for healing where it's needed. We pray for comfort and strength where it's needed. But Lord, we not only pray for our physical or or immediate needs, those things that are right in front of our face, but we also pray for these families that their faith would be strengthened through these trials, that you would draw them to yourself. And we pray that same prayer for our entire church family and our community, all those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook as well, that you would strengthen us, Lord, in our faith. Draw us to yourself that we may know you better, may love you better, and serve you better. May you use all circumstances, the good, the bad, and everything in between, for your glory and for our good. We pray for those that are in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so we pray at this time for our national leaders. We pray for our president, Congress, the Supreme Court, and other elected and appointed officials, that they may serve this nation well, that they may have wisdom beyond their their means, Lord, that you would guide them and that they'd have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness and that they would be filled. And we pray for our leaders here in this church, for our elders this day. We thank you for their servant leadership and pray, Lord, that you would continue to equip and enable them to serve you by serving this church. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading today comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anita. Let's pray together again. Father God, as we turn our attention now to your word, we ask that you would Send your Holy Spirit to guide, our, guide us in our thoughts as we reflect on your good news for us. May you open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may your Holy Spirit give me words to speak of encouragement and hope. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now I have to ask, did everybody get what they wanted for Christmas yesterday? You know, we often have a list of things that we want, especially when we're younger, and and we, you know, share that list with our friends and our family and even Santa maybe. But we don't always get what we want, do we? No matter how long our list is or, or you know, what other items we want, very rarely do we ever get every item on the list. And if you did, well, that is certainly an exception, right? What a blessing that was. But very rarely do we get everything that we asked for. I remember many Christmases where uh, I didn't get everything that I wanted. Maybe it was something big, maybe it was something small. 
but those Christmas wishes always fell short. Now, the reason I ask that is because as we start our new sermon series today on First Peter, we're going to see that hope is a very important, a very big theme throughout this letter. And it's certainly predominant in our passage here today. When we talk about hope, we need to remember it is more than just wishful thinking, right? It's more than just, I hope maybe someday this will happen, or I hope that maybe I will get these presents for Christmas. The hope that we have in Christ is so much more than a wish list. It's the confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But to start here, I want to just, I want to, I want to give you a little bit of background in this letter and, and just real brief on what we're going to be studying over the next several weeks. Uh, I've entitled this sermon series, uh, First Peter, Living, Living Hope, or Living Faithfully in a Fallen World, right? Peter is writing to a group of Christians that are scattered throughout what is now known as, as Turkey in that area, what was called Asia Minor at that time. And these Christians were living, already living in a wider culture that did not line up with their beliefs. And so Peter is writing to encourage them to live faithfully for Christ in a fallen world. Right? And I think that's a topic that we can certainly relate to today. Right? Our, our culture does not always line up with our beliefs. Right? And so for Christians, the question is, okay, so how are we going to navigate living faithfully in a fallen world? How are we going to remain faithful to Christ, living for him when our priorities don't line up with the priorities of the world around us? Maybe you've experienced that yourself, maybe within your own heart, right? Where, where, where you realize that there's maybe things that you value or things that you long for that don't line up with what Christ desires of us. Maybe you've experienced it within your family or your workplace or just in general in the community or the the culture as as a whole. But for one degree to another, we all experience that friction of trying to live for Christ, live faithfully in a world that that has fallen, that is broken. And so Peter's going to have a lot to say to us about that. And and we see here at the start of this letter, he identifies himself very simply as an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is one who is sent on a special purpose. And that certainly qualifies, you know, Peter certainly qualifies for that title. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, one of those first groups of people that, that followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. And in fact, Peter was one of the inner circle, if you can call it that. He was one of the three that were often given access to Jesus that other, even other disciples didn't. For example, when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, it was just Peter, James, and John who had the privilege to go with him. And other times when Jesus performed miracles, it was just Peter, James, and John that were present. So, so Peter, of all people, knew Jesus, right, in his earthly ministry. He certainly was an apostle who was sent on a special purpose. And Peter continued that ministry of course, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter was the one who get, preached that first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it was Peter that saw God working not just within the Jewish community in Jerusalem, but in the Gentile community as well. He was the one who visited Cornelius's home and saw how God was working in the Gentile believers too. 
And so it's interesting here that Peter really introduces himself in a very simple, very humble way, right? He could have listed, right, all the reasons that these people should listen to him, but he simply just says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because that was enough. And we see this letter then, as I already mentioned, is, is written to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And thank you, Anita, for reading those names. I'm going to skip over them myself, but thank you for toughing that out. These were, these were God's chosen people. Later in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he describes them as this. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Right? These were people, as I said, God's chosen, his elect. And they weren't chosen based on their good works. We know that from the testimony of Scripture itself. They were chosen simply out of God's goodness and grace. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, he says, He, speaking of God, chose us, In Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. Paul doesn't really, you know, mince any words there, right? He's pretty straightforward that it is God who chooses us, God who loves us, God who saves us, not based on our own works, not because we had done something good enough to deserve it, but simply out of his grace and mercy. And Peter's echoing that theme as well. And these were Christians. as They were exiled throughout the Roman Empire, and particularly Peter's writing to people in Asia Minor. And there's two reasons why Christians would have found themselves far away from Jerusalem, where Jesus died and was raised again. One was the missionary work of the early church. Peter and Paul, among others, like Philip, Barnabas, right? They, they took God's word and they spread it around. They knew, they took Jesus' command very seriously to go and make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says to go and be witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, they took that seriously. And so the gospel spread in these communities as the word was preached. But they were also forced out of Jerusalem. So there was also persecution that that drove those early Christians out of Jerusalem and scattered them throughout the Roman Empire. And God was even able to use that, their persecution and their hardship, as a means through which to spread the gospel. And so Peter is using kind of, in, in a sense, figurative language about exiles to describe a very important truth. He's writing to people who are now in a foreign in foreign territory, right? Maybe removed from their their normal place of residence, but also in a very spiritual sense, they were living as exiles in a society in a culture that did not line up with their beliefs. Right? And and so that idea, right, can apply to us as well. We are called to live as exiles. God's people always live as exiles, whether you're living in first century Roman Empire or you're living in 21st century America, right? We're called to live as exiles because if we are truly following Christ, if our faith is in him, then we are going to be at odds with whatever culture we live in, right? We are not permanent residents of this earth. 
our allegiance ultimately lies elsewhere. And so, so we can all relate to living as exiles. And then the other big theme here that we're going to focus on today is hope, which I've already touched on. In fact, First Peter calls it a living hope that we have in Christ. Remember, hope is more than wishful thinking. It's an expectation. It is trust and belief that God will do what he promises to do. And so while we may make a wish list of things that we want for Christmas, and who knows if we'll actually get it, we know that in Christ God fulfills his promises for us. That it's not wishful thinking, it's not maybe one day, it is it will happen. It's not a matter of if, but of when. And so hope is that confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises to us. And we see here in this passage, there's three ways that we experience this hope and it's applied to our lives. And first, we'll see that this hope is, a, is built on, excuse me, that this hope is because of our salvation in Christ. We'll see that we experience that hope even in our suffering and that this hope is built on the foundation of Scripture. So let's take a look first that we have hope because of our salvation in Christ. We see here, even, even in this opening greeting, Peter's already digging into what it means to be saved and to be forgiven. And that we see all three members of the Trinity at work. Look at verse 2. He says, he's speaking of God's elect who've been chosen, right? Have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Right? So, so it is, we are chosen by God, and we've already talked about that. And he says it's because of the foreknowledge of the Father. In other words, God has planned to save us God for the foundations of this world. Jesus isn't plan B, right, or C or D. Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, is plan A. And it is through Jesus that God chooses to save us. Even his death was part of God's plan. In Acts chapter 2, again, Peter's first sermon on Pentecost, he says, this man, speaking of Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God's plan is for us to be saved in Christ. And it is is part of his deliberate plan that Christ came to save us. We see here that that we are also saved by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that applies salvation to every believer and helps them grow in their faith. Right? Right? It was salvation is is according to the will of the Father. It is achieved through Christ's sanctifying, or excuse me, Christ's saving work on the cross. And it is applied to our lives through the Holy Spirit. Not only when we initially trust Christ, but in a relationship with Him, we grow through that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we're saved to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with His blood. We are, that is why we are chosen, to live in obedience to Jesus Christ and be cleansed by His blood. Right? The sprinkled with blood seems very foreign to us and strange, but but it's meant to evoke, right, images of sacrifice and consecration in our minds, right? When, when uh, in the temple, right, this has been a language that Peter's listeners would have been very familiar with, whether they were 
Jewish background or Gentile background, but sacrifices were a normal part of life, part of the worship experience. And so the the sprinkling of blood would have brought to mind those sacrifices and ultimately the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But also, it also brings up consecration imagery that we are that when the temple was built and consecrated, in other words, when it was set aside for a special purpose, it was the blood of the sacrifice that was sprinkled on the different parts of the temple. And so we too are consecrated. We are set aside for a special purpose in salvation through Christ. But that's not all Peter has to say about the salvation we have. Beginning of verse 3, he goes on to talk about the great mercy that we experience in in God the Father, that he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how mercy is is not getting what we do deserve, right? We deserve punishment. We deserve the penalty for our sins. But in God's great mercy, he withholds that from us because Jesus paid the price on our behalf. But and he's, and, he, and he's given us new birth. That phrase literally means he causes us to be born again. God gives us new life in Christ. We are saved. We are forgiven. We are made new. We are justified. Through faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we enter into a relationship with God. And that's language that should be familiar to us because Jesus himself said in John 3, 3, that, that for us, in order to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. We must be saved and made new. And we are born again into a living hope, right? Again, we don't need to reiterate this again, right? What that hope means, it is that expectation of what God promises to do. But it's described here as a living hope, and it's living because Christ himself is alive. We have a living hope and a living Savior. And it's living because it's meant to impact our lives today, Right? It's not just hope for a future. It's not just one day we'll be with Jesus when this life is over. But it's living because it's meant to be active, an active part of our lives today. And it's hope because of the resurrection. As I said, we have hope, living hope, and a living Savior. Because Jesus is alive and that changes everything for us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that our entire faith hangs on the resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, if the res- resurrection doesn't happen, then what are we doing? Right? The reason we have living hope, the reason we can rejoice, is because Christ is alive today. And he gives us an inheritance that will not fade or spoil Right? And inheritance is often something that's reserved for obedient children, but thanks be to God that it's not based on our obedience because none of us would qualify. The inheritance we have is based on the obedience of Christ. Right? We receive what he earned for us through faith. And it's an inheritance that's not going to spoil or fade. We can't, it's, not, it's not temporary. It's not going not to be wasted. Right? It is something that we can that is guaranteed to us through Christ and through his Holy Spirit. In fact, it says that it is kept in heaven for us. That word kept can mean protected, guarded. It is secure and will not disappear. Our salvation is secure because Jesus is alive and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
and he gives us his Holy Spirit as a down payment for that inheritance. He is a seal guaranteeing our place in God's kingdom. Now notice here, as as we've been talking about this, and, and maybe this is something that you've picked up on, but it's worth pointing out. That this salvation that Peter's describing is described as, as a past, a present, and a future hope that we have in Christ. It's, it's set firmly in the past in the resurrection of Christ, right? That is a past event that has taken place. And so we know, we can look back on that and know that our salvation is secure. But it's also a present reality. It's a living hope that we can experience in and through a relationship with Christ. It's not just something that happened then, but it's something that continues to happen now in the heart of every believer. We can experience that living hope. But it's also a future hope. It's a guaranteed inheritance that one day we will experience it in its fullness. In the coming salvation, right, when, when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, we will experience that salvation in its fullness. And so in one sense, our salvation was achieved in the past. It's being applied to us in the present, and it will appear in its fullness one day in the future. And so we can depend on and rest secure in God's election, his plan, his purpose for us. We don't have to doubt it. We can live fully into it because he is good and he can be trusted. Our hope is based not on ourselves, but on on the character and action of God. He grants us mercy. He causes the new birth into a living hope. He gives us an inheritance. He shields us into the day of redemption. He chooses us. All we do is receive that gift by faith. And then we can rest secure in God's mercy. And so we have hope because of our salvation, but that also then gives us hope in the face of our suffering, which is what the middle section of verses teaches us, right? This hope that we have allows us to rejoice in the face of present suffering. He says here that our suffering is for a little while. In other words, it's only temporary. The troubles that we experience in this life, no matter how big they seem, no matter how hard they are, have an expiration date. Second Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now that grief or the, the trouble and the hardship that we experience is still real. Right? And in the moment, it may not seem very temporary or it may not seem... But just because it's temporary, and, excuse me, just because it's temporary doesn't mean it's painless. But we can endure suffering faithfully when we remember that it is only temporary. And joy does not come from ignoring or denying the pain or the reality of it. It comes from knowing that the trials will one day be over. That no matter what we face in this life, no matter how tragic or difficult or painful it can be, we have the hope that one day everything will be set right. We have that promise guaranteed to us. In Christ. So these troubles last for a little while, but they, we also face all kinds of troubles. In other words, we face a variety of problems in this life. There is no one-size-fits-all experience in this world. Two people can face the same suffering and respond quite differently. And we also know that some problems of our, are of our own making, and some are completely out of our control. 
Sometimes we know the answer as to why we suffer or what caused it. And sometimes our suffering is inexplicable. And so we face a variety of problems, all kinds of suffering in this world, but they are only temporary. And so we we may ask why. Why do we face these things? Well, these trials prove the genuineness of our faith. He uses the analogy here of, of, of precious metals being refined in a fire to describe what, our, what happens to our faith when we face hardships. Sometimes we don't know what we believe until our faith is put to the test. And like gold refined in the fire, those trials help us refine our faith. It makes it purer and stronger. When precious metals are put in the furnace, all the impurities, the dross is, is burned away. When we face trials, sometimes we we really finally understand what's important and what's not. Our priorities are put in the right place. But that refining process can also make us our faith stronger. Steel isn't exactly a precious metal, but it's another kind of metal. And the way that it's created is by taking iron and and heating it over and over again to, to refine it but also to make it stronger. Heating it to those high temperatures and then cooling it quickly causes the steel to grow in strength. And the same thing is true for our faith. As we face trials, it purifies us, but it also strengthens us. And one more note here before we move on to the last point. He says here, he has these verses here about about the inexpressible and glorious joy that we have received, that, that even though we have not seen Jesus for ourselves, we can still love him and believe in him. In other words, believing isn't seen. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and so in a very real sense, we have not, none of us have seen Jesus the way that Peter did, the way that others did during Jesus' earthly ministry. But we can still believe and trust in who he is because of the testimony of Scripture, because of the faithful witnesses of Christ, because God is still active in the world through our living Savior and through his Holy Spirit. And Craig Keener, one author, points out that Peter's words here, right, are, are, it's interesting to compare Peter's words here with those who were at the cross of Christ and who mocked him while he was suffering, See, those people, they wanted proof. They wanted Jesus to come down from the cross and prove that he was the Son of God. They wanted physical proof in front of their face that that he was who he says he was. And of course, the proof was not that Jesus would rescue himself, but that he would give himself up on the cross. Yet Peter's readers are commended for belief and faith and trust, even though they didn't physically witness Jesus in their life yet they still receive the end result of their faith, an inexpressible and glorious joy in the salvation of their souls. So we too can have that sort of joy when we trust in Christ in all circumstances of life. Again, I I can't presume to know what's going on in every person's life right now or those listening on the radio or watching on Facebook. I'm sure you have all sorts of trials. You are facing difficult times. Some big, some small. But we can rejoice in suffering because of that hope that God has given us in Christ. 
So when we face difficult times, we don't want to ask ourselves, why is this happening to me? Because we may never get the answer to that question. And even if we did, it's not necessarily going to help in that moment. Instead, we need to ask, how can God be glorified in these circumstances? How can God use my present suffering, my present circumstances to bring glory to him? In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples, including Peter, interacted with the man who was born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus, why was he, why was he born blind? Was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? Right? They wanted someone or something to blame. But Jesus said, it's not because of anybody's sin that this person was born blind. It was so that God would be glorified through him. Finally, our hope is built on the foundation of Scripture. We see in verses 10 through 12 that Peter begins to, to talk about this salvation that was spoken of in the prophets. And of course, he's referring to what we now call the Old Testament. Right? That the Old Testament ultimately points forward to the Messiah. That they weren't just writing for themselves, but, but these prophecies, these writings were given for us now so that we may understand God's plan of salvation through Jesus. That even hundreds of years before Christ was born, God was already laying the groundwork and the foundation for us to know and believe what was happening. Right? And, and, and the gospel is being preached by the Holy Spirit. Right? It was the Holy Spirit that inspired those original authors. It was the Holy Spirit that worked through those who proclaimed the gospel and continues to do so today. And it is the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts and minds to enable us to receive the good news of the gospel. So God ordained and preserved his word for our benefit, that we may know the joy of salvation ourselves, that we may find hope in the promises that he's made us knowing that he is good and trustworthy and will fulfill his promises. And so we ourselves, we need to be people that find hope in Scripture to build our lives on the foundation of God's word because it was preserved for our benefit. He closes this passage by saying angels long to see such things. Now think about that for a second. Angels long to see, to witness God's salvation, to see what we now take for granted. Right? How many of us have Bibles just sitting at home collecting dust on the shelves? Right? How many of us truly value God's word for what it is? Right? This was preserved for our benefit. God miraculously provided his word for us so that we may know his salvation, so we can believe in Jesus Christ. Angels long to witness such things. Yet we take it for granted. We leave it to collect dust because we have, you know, better things to do or don't have enough time for it. Matthew thirteen seventeen says, For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So I'm going to leave you with this question. Do you hunger for God's word? Do you truly find hope in the promises that are there? Or is it just something that we save for when it's going to have hope in the salvation of Christ? If you want to have hope in the midst of suffering, we need to build our lives on the foundation, on the hope that he has provided for us in his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word.
which does give us hope. We thank you for your promises, which are true. Even when we don't see their fulfillment right in front of us, we know that you will fulfill them in your time. And we thank you for the living hope that we have through Christ, because he is our living Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service today, I invite you to stand if you're able and sing with us, uh, sing with our praise team the song Christmas Alleluia.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace and Merry Christmas.